0: This is Whitley Striever, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. I was a little scared. I sat there at the console and looked at it, and there were hieroglyphs in different lights. The other gray who was sitting next to me, I could tell it was a female. I don't know how, but I knew it was a female. Maybe it was the voice because they communicate telepathically. She kind of lifted her hands up and looked over at me like, you drive. And of course, I was really scared at that point. I was looking out this window, and we were going probably a thousand miles an hour through the trees, literally through the trees. Now, what can this be about? Well, there's someone here who knows a lot about this story, and many others, I want to welcome Grant Cameron back to, this, to the show, back to Dreamland. Uh, Grant is a favorite guest, of course, and I'm very happy to have you here with us, Grant. And Grant has been in UFO research for 38 years now and has been doing this very, very well for a very long time. And of course has been on dreamland. He's got his own podcast and he's a, he's really, really a major player in this, in this world. And a major player in this world is suddenly saying that there are people who remember flying UFOs and that we should believe this. Okay, Grant. One of those sections in the beginning of your book is called, when is a story useful evidence? And I think that. If you could explain to us why you believe that these stories may be about something real, this is. Let's start with that.
1: Okay. So Gary Nolan, um, the uh, geneticist from Stanford University, who's uh, been involved with UFOs and an experiencer, uh, said one story is anecdotal, two is evidence. And so when I suddenly got three dozen cases that all described this, I figured that this is very important. When I first heard it, you said I had been involved for 38 years. It was 38 years when I first heard the story. I've been in the circus for 48 years, almost half a century, but it was 38 years ago when I first heard the story in Phoenix, Arizona from a woman that I had lectured at the uh, Phoenix Group. And uh, it was a fairly big group. And then uh, Stacy Wright, who ran the group, said to me at the end, she said, are you still going to talk to Pam Dupuy? And I said, well, yeah, I guess so. And I thought, well, man, I must have agreed to talk to this woman. And so she said, oh, that's good. She's coming to the house on Monday and you can talk to her. So I was sitting at this house on Monday and Pam and her partner came to the door and she said to me, she said, what did Stacy tell you about me? And I said, I don't know. She just said I'm supposed to talk to you. So that's good. She comes walking in. And she tells me what Jacques Ballet, I think, more accurately describes is an absolutely absurd story. So she would tell me a story like she'd been abducted. She remember being two or three years old in a diaper in the middle of a field and the craft was leaving. And she had this encounters of being trained in a circle, almost like the, the school type idea and all this sort of stuff. And you've heard this stuff before. So I was sitting there listening to her and she was a lady probably in her 70s, early 70s at the time, mid 70s. And then she said to me, she said, oh, and I was uh, flying the craft last night. And I went, you were what? (laughs) I I just couldn't believe it. I said, you were what? She said, I was flying the craft last night. And all I could think about in my mind was Saudi Arabian women at that point were not allowed to drive a car unless there was a man in the car with them. And I'm thinking, they let you fly the craft? (laughs) And I'm thinking, 70-year-old lady, they're going to let you fly the craft? And she said, oh, yeah, I've flown three different models. And, I, and I, had, I was either going to throw her out or I had to ask the next question. So I said, well, how do you fly craft? And she said, oh, you do it with your mind. And suddenly I realized what this is all about. And what it was is I had had this download experience, which I've talked about many times, in 2012 when I'm watching Colin Andrews give a lecture on crop circles about consciousness. And suddenly in my mind comes this a, a sort of a, an awakening download that says this is about consciousness. This is what this is all about. And it came with absolute certainty. It just sort of threw me for a loop, and I suddenly made the turn going from presidents of the United States, what they knew, to this idea of consciousness. That consciousness was was part of this. And so when she said that this was you flew it with your mind, I knew why they had set me up with this woman. And that's the whole point of why this is important. Because as Jacques Vallée points out, this is an absolutely absurd story. If you want to convince somebody and make up a story that you were on UFO. You're not going to start telling them, oh, I flew the craft. Like, who's going to believe that? And yet I had three dozen people who all, one after another, told me the same story. And these stories were mostly not on the Internet. There may have been one or two that were on the Internet. Most of them just came to me. It was almost like I had been given them the role to, to put these stories together. They would come to me, and I would even stop people. They would say, uh, I'll tell you, the, one of the most impressive ones I had was a guy who was a, a retired U.S. Air Force colonel. Uh, out of los angeles who was at the uh, um the orange county group and he wasn't at the lecture when i i was talking i talked a little bit about flying the craft at the lecture and he came after you know how they have a little thing at the restaurant after and i was there right. and
0: he's talking about the orange county uh mufon, mufon group right. so yeah.
1: this guy his name is david comes after and then he comes into the restaurant and they said hey david david you should have been at grant's lecture he's talking about flying the craft tell him about your story and then david says to me he says well, you know, just, I think it was a dream. I said, well, everybody sort of describes it as a dream. And he said, well, you know, and I said, they said, David, David, tell me what you do. And I said, oh, OK, uh, what do you do? And he said, oh, I fly, I fly cr- uh, planes. And I said, oh, my son's a pilot and my father's a pilot. My father's a pilot with the Canadian government for many years. I said, what kind of planes do you fly? And he said, oh, he mentions this and that. And then he said, F-16s. And I said, you flew F-16s? And he said, yeah, I'm a retired U.S. Air Force colonel. I flew a combat in Iraq. And I went, sit down and tell me that you're a dream. <laughs> and, I bet you and, did. and every single one of them was the same. It was like people reading off a cue card. It was the same story. They would find themselves almost, there was only one that I can remember. They would find themselves on the craft. It wasn't like they were taken on the craft. It was suddenly, boom, they're on the craft. And they're standing there and there's people behind them, which turns out to be a very important thing. There's people behind them and they don't know whether it's humans or whether it's aliens. And so this David guy says, I'm in the craft. I'm standing there. Well, hold on a second. Yeah. I just wanna
0: interject that you know I've been on a craft i don't I have one tiny memory of maybe flying one, yeah, but it's so small there's no point in even getting into it, but there were people behind me in the craft too yeah so I'll get yeah, in.
1: That, that
0: little detail is so telling to me yeah uh, but but, but before we go on, free dreamlanders, we are going to take a little break right now, so Enjoy these ads, and for God's sake, support this show if you're listening to the commercial end of it, we need you very badly i mean i'm it costs me a lot of money, and I, I you know I can't just be left sitting here and with me and the few subscribers that we do have, we need you too. okay, it's time to get back to uh the um the meeting. And the F-16 pilot.
1: Okay, so he says these these people are there's there's somebody behind him. Two he thinks it's like two people behind him or two entities or there's somebody behind him, and um, he's standing there and in the middle of the craft. And then he hears them say, "Okay, go ahead and do it." And then he says, which I've heard many times, the person would say, "I don't know what to do," and then they said, "You know what to do, just do it." And he looks over at this this panel on the wall. And he goes and he puts his hands on this panel and he said, suddenly he's flying the craft. He said, it's like I'm flying the, 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 it's like flying an F-16. He said, I'm flying the craft. And he says, and everybody says the same thing. You put your hand on the panel and you suddenly realize that the craft is alive. The craft is biological and you become one with the craft and the craft is thinking and whatever you think is what the craft thinks. You become one with the craft. So he described this. He became one with the craft. He he knew what the craft was thinking, and he was flying. And whatever he thought was what the craft would do. And the other thing was was this oneness idea that you hear over and over again, this oneness, that there's this oneness thing. So David is standing there with his hands on the panel, and then he takes the one hand off, and he's waiting for the craft to stall, and he's going to put his hand back down again. He takes his, he's takes he got his hand off, and nothing happens. Then he takes the other one off, but he leaves it only a couple inches above the panel, and he's ready to slam his hand down. And he said he's got both hands up, and he said he's flying the craft. And whatever he thinks is where the craft is going. And I heard this story over and over, and it's this absurd story that doesn't really make any sense. And as you described in the introduction, you would have people like Susie Hansen, who actually said that when they when they trained her, they would train her with a stick and then they would train her with her mind. And she said it was much easier to do with her mind. When she had the stick, she kept flipping the flying saucer upside down and stuff like that. And she said that when they took her home, she said that we're going to go through the earth. And she said, you're going to go through the earth. And she panicked. She just she just went crazy. She said, you're going to go through the earth. Yeah. And she believed because she lives in New Zealand, there was leaves off the trees where she was. And she believed that she must have been in North America somewhere. And, uh, so they're going to go through the earth. And she said, they said something about they're going to change the vibration and don't worry about it. And she describes this going through the earth, going back to New Zealand through the earth. And this gets into stories and you sort of pop into your mind. The idea that they describe now with these, these latest, uh, military videos, the one where the, the, the object goes into the water and it doesn't leave any splashes. And you hear this all the time that the, the craft goes into the water. And there's no wake, there's nothing. Or crafts are moving in the in the air, and there's no there's no uh, sonic wave and stuff like that. And this is this idea that they can they can go into solid objects, and people will describe this, and it's it's just so bizarre that there's no way you would make this story up. And people would even describe things that that gave us ideas that. W- as Gary Nolan says, I'm, I'm interested in the five percent that don't fall inside the bell curve. When he's when somebody's doing an, a student is doing something, he'll say to them, Why is that out there? What's that thing doing out there? And they go, I don't know. And he said, Well, that's where the, like that's where the Nobel prizes are. When you get to the five percent of the anomalies, that's where the the things are. And what people would just start to describe is very very bizarre things. They would say, for example, the one guy said, um, they said, Where would you like to go? And this is uh, a guy's name is Ron Johnson. He's out of uh, Utah. He's a very strict Mormon guy. And he said, Oh, I would like to, I would like to see the Milky Way from a distance. And they said, Okay. Uh, You sit there and it's within you, which they say over and over again. It is within you. It's almost like. Jesus saying the kingdom of God is within you. So they say it's within you. Go within yourself. You have to imagine it. So Ron is sitting in this chair and he's got his fingers in the end of this chair and he's holding on to the end of this chair. He said it was like molded, like it was actually built for him. And he said he sat there and he said it was a one second of very intense G-force. And he said he looked out the window and there was the Milky Way off in the distance, which would mean that that's like fifty to 70,000 light years that he went in one second, which means that if that story is at all true there's something wrong with our ideas of time and space if that can happen and people would say the same thing uh john ramirez talks about this uh about yes he does the ability to instantly go to another place and and it's always this thing it's it's when you you've got to imagine it's within you and that's where if you've seen the the sufi expression you see yourself as a puny form when within you the entire universe is enfolded. And that comes to the idea is, is, is the universe out there or is it within us? Uh, like the remote viewers. How do the remote viewers instantly go to the target? You give them the target seven, six, four, six, three, two, one, and the person goes, oh, I'm at the target. They're instantly there. Are they going out to the target or are they actually going within themselves? Is everything within them? So you'd see this over and over again. The people said they could instantly move from one point of the universe to another instantaneously. But they were always told it's within you. You've got to imagine it's within you. And then you mentioned this thing which came out later. This thing about, um, the people behind them. So I heard this over and over again. And then I heard, uh, Jim Semivan describe it, and suddenly the bell came on. So Jim Semivan described that as well? Yep. He described it to to an interview with James Ian Dolly. So James Ian Dolly is trying to get him to talk about his experience, and Jim really doesn't want to talk about it. And so James is sort of digging. He says, Well, he says, Was there any telepathy involved? And of course, it's all, it's all consciousness. It's all telepathy. There's no, stuff so it's all this consciousness stuff so he said he said is there was there any telepathy involved and he says yeah you know he says that was actually very strange i remember standing beside my wife and there was this entity behind me and it had this now let me, give me the exact quote he said there was this entity behind me with this guardian type thing going on and as soon as he said that i said oh that's michael newton Michael Newton describes the 7,000 people, when you die, you go in front of a council and you have a life review and they ask you, how to it work out, Whitley? And then you say, oh, I was going to do this, but I forgot and I didn't do that. and I'm, I'm going to do better next time. And, and everybody says they're, they're going to do better next time. And when, when they're there, the spirit guide stands on behind them on the left side. So, of course, I asked James Dolly, I said, ask Jim, what's, what side was the entity on? Was it on the left or the right? And you hear this over and over again. And then you start wondering... What is this behind the person? Because I even have a new one, Philip um, Kinsella from Great Britain, and he describes how the 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 gray wanted him out of the ship. They do the the probe thing that that you had this unfortunate experience with, and yeah. then he he was he insulted and he was he was angry, and then they yeah. said, okay, leave, and 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 he said, what do you mean, leave? And then he said it's like something pushed him and he was outside the craft and he was falling and he said there was two grays, little grays beside him, but he was not allowed to look at them and they were behind him. And I'm thinking, well, if you weren't allowed to look at them, how do you know they were grays? But they were behind him. And then he came to the ground and that's when he went and he said that he went back and into his room through the glass and he said, suddenly I, I realized. That My body was still there, and it went into my body, and that's what Betty Andreassen said as well. Betty Andreassen comes back, and she says, I was so happy to be home. I saw the trailer, and I went in, and my husband was still sleeping on his side of the bed, and I looked, and I was sitting on the side of the bed, and I went into my body, and and then then you start, that's the whole question with this thing, is what's really going on here? Is this out of body? Is this physical? What's really going on here?
0: Okay, we're going to talk about that a lot more, folks. Uh, Free Dreamlanders, we'll be right back. We're talking to Grant Cameron, his new book, UFO Sky Pilots, Pilots of Peace and Oneness, a brain-busting book. It's wonderful. No other way to describe it. Okay, now, just before we left the air for our free Dreamlanders, we were beginning to explore the question, what is going on here? Is this physical or non-physical? And, you know, I may weigh in on this because I have got some ideas of my own having not flown one. I have, as I said, I think I said earlier, I have a split second memory of flying one, but I have quite an elaborate memory of being in one. Um, which I, of course, I thought I, I'd like to steal this. And I heard from behind me, that's how I, I knew there was someone behind me. I heard this. <laughs> well, that's not, And so I figured, oh, not probably not tonight. Uh, In any case, let's go on.
1: Out of body or physical? Yeah. The way I've started to look at it is, is uh, in so many years, and you probably found the same thing, that the more you look at it, people think, oh, you know, it could be very simple, or we're missing one piece, or whatever. And the more you look at it, the more complex it actually gets. And almost like the less physical it seems to become, it's you start to see this really weird stuff. And what I do is I go back to quantum physics. And you take a look at what Max Planck said, who is the father of quantum physics. and He said, nothing gets behind consciousness. And that was the second download I had in 2017, which was very long. And I had was madly writing. I was in the middle of a street. And I'm writing all this stuff down on a piece of paper. And what they said to me is, if the world is made out of little nuts and bolts, that's one world. But it's made out of consciousness then that's a completely different world and all the rules will change. And that's the whole idea. Is the world made out of material which creates consciousness or is it made out of consciousness which makes matter? And most of the quantum people in the early days, Heisenberg and von Neumann and uh, Bohr and Max Planck, they all believed that consciousness was primary, that consciousness created matter. And so that's the way I've started to see the universe, that God did not create the heaven and the earth god created the sparks of the divine and we're the ones that are creating the heavens and the earth because it's all made out of consciousness and so it's this idea that conscious that matter is a very low vibrating state of consciousness but it's all consciousness and these people are in a higher state of vibrating consciousness and when they move us they take us into their world or as they said when they come into our world there's a an experience by the name of uh, uh yossi ronin out of um uh israel who talks about how they talk to him. They said, when we come into your world, we have to take on a body. We have no choice. We don't need a body, but we take on a body. You can do the same thing. You just don't know it. So when they move us, they and I believe more and more what they're doing is they're actually taking the uh, the etheric body out and they can actually create physical stuff with the etheric body, but they take the etheric body out and they take us into their higher vibrating state and then they, they move us back into their state. So in their state, these things that are very absurd, like some of the stories that I was told are the, the head of MUFON for Japan had, I uh, was an expert on meditation and he had learned how to, uh, use his meditation and go out of body and go to the craft. And he would have these interactions with the grays. And I say to people, if you think you, we've got this technology and that this is very simple, the stuff these people describe, and his ex- description was they, he was on board the ship and they said they can make the ship as big as they want. And many of the people, these 36 people would describe this. Chris Bletso described this, uh, Hal Putoff talked about this. Hal putoff said, you know, I'd like to know, how can the craft be bigger on the inside than outside? Len Stringfield talked about a, cra- a craft that was on the ground that they had recovered near uh, two hours from Norton Air Force Base that a photographer had been taken to. And the photographer said it was hanging from a uh, a crane in a netting. And he went in and he was to photograph the panels. And he went in there and he said he could have taken a football and thrown it in any direction and not hit a wall. And yet it was only the the uh, the regular size. Uh, Terry Lovelace said it was as big as a football stadium on the inside. And so people would describe this, that the craft was huge on the inside. And they described, the, a lot of them would say that the, the beings say we can make the craft as big as we want. Which goes back to the first woman, uh, Pam Dupuy. which she told me the second part of the absurd story. She said they've got crafts that are as big as a solar system. And this is this idea that they can make it as big as they want inside because it's built out of consciousness. So they can build this thing. And the guy from MUFON actually told this very bizarre story. He said he was in the craft and the being wanted to get something and he put his hand up towards the wall and this book just came out of the wall. It the wall just it just appeared out of the wall and he had this book. And that's the kind of stuff you see or you see this the crossover to spiritual stuff. Ron Johnson, I mentioned this this very strict Mormon guy had an experience three times where they took him to the spirit world and his being was called Elby. Most people have one being that they deal with, which again starts inside a spirit guide. So Elby takes him to the spirit world three times. The first time, it's sort of like a, a lower level where there's nothing really moving around or whatever. Second level, he's with his mother. He can't see his mother, but he can hear his mother and talk to his mother. The third level, he's, on, he's in the, almost like a, a heavenly description. He's in his grassy field. His mother's there. He's talking to his mother. He sees this little thing and he it looks like a temple in nephi utah sitting there and he said to his mother says ron when you die you're going to get a room in this building and he sees the building sort of open up and can see his father inside in a room there and she said i've got a room in there she takes him into the building and he walks into the building and he says to me he says it's just unreal he said it was like ten to a hundred times the size inside as outside and i go hey this is, is this the spirit world or is this uh, inside a flying saucer? That's what the flying saucer people say. And so you yeah. see these crossovers and this stuff that's totally bizarre. Like if you're going to make up a story, you're not going to say absolutely craft. You're not going to say it was as big as a football field or a football stadium. You're not going to say that it was 100 times the size inside. All these things are absurd stories that yes. if you get 36 people all telling the same story, you got to say, we better start listening to these people. This could be actually happening.
0: Well, what's so fascinating here is that you have to ask yourself two questions. A, what is a craft? Yeah. And B, what is consciousness? Yeah. And, you know, I'm. let's explore. Let's exp- In fact, uh, we're going to do another brief break for our free dreamlanders. Uh, free dreamlanders, I love you. And I'm going to love you even more when you're not watching the free part of the show. We'll be right <laughs> back. We're talking to Grant Cameron, his new book, UFO Sky Pilots, Pilots of Peace and Oneness, not pilots of war and destruction, interestingly enough, Uh, pilots of peace and oneness. Uh, And we were just going to discuss what is a craft. Let's start there and we'll work our way into the relationship between consciousness and physical reality in a few minutes. Because that's a big part of understanding what is going on here. Uh, so let's let's tackle this. What is a craft now with your knowledge of your 48 years of UFO research and this material?
1: What do you think a craft is? Okay, so I start looking at it and then it goes back almost to this same idea that, that consciousness creates matter. It's almost like the famous, uh, channeler Seth who started the New Age movement, the, the famous channeler from the 60s and 70s. Uh, Seth said, you manifest everything around you. There is no other rule. And we don't believe that because we think there's separation between us and everything else. We think that we're victims, that there's things around us that are happening to us and uh, this sort of thing. But if you have the idea that consciousness is primary, then you start looking at things that start to make sense. For example, a craft. So in 1890, uh, people would say this thing about reality. I mean, if you see, if 1895, some, is, some, you and I are standing there and we see a wooden ship fly by and it has uh, sails on it and it has big propellers and it has huge lights that are shining down when there are no batteries in the, in the 1890s, they were, they were really not developed yet, batteries, and these lights are shining down and then the, the craft comes down and there's a guy hanging off a rope with a, with a beard and we say, where are you from? And he said, I'm from Mars. So that's a craft, and then in in the World War II, the craft suddenly changes to foo fighters, and we're now we're describing foo fighters. And then after the the Second World War, suddenly they're green fireballs, and then after that, the Adamski crafts. Remember with the balls underneath the underneath the craft. Then they become ordinary type of crafts. Then they become triangles. Now they're like these orbs. That's the big discussion now is these orbs that are moving around, and the craft seems to morph almost like John Alexander said. The the phenomenon not only knew what we were going to do, it knew what we were about to do and that the thing never morphed. It never did the same thing twice. And when we set up to try to capture it on film, it would happen off camera. And it was this idea that it keeps. it's almost like it's evolving along a pattern and we're evolving with it. And more and more, and and the the absurd things are to make us look at this. They're they're to make us try to figure it out, and it's the idea that if it's absurd, it can you you can't get rid of it. Your 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 left brain is is trying to figure out like what is this, like what's going on here, and and that's what they want us to do. They they want us to do these bizarre things, but uh, that's where people will say, no, there's a craft is a is a is a material object, and it, and it is a material object because it comes in and it does materialize but if you look at John Ramirez and he told his story I think a bit on yours and then you put me in contact with him and I had contact with him and he basically said there was no craft at all in in his term he didn't he didn't remember craft he was able to move to this ice planet that he goes to and he said it really didn't there was no craft involved and that's the whole thing is is we sort of uh create this kind of stuff and it's almost like the the example I sort of give is Leslie Kane which is one of the most Uh, amazing stories I've ever heard where Leslie Kane goes to physical seance. I get to interview Leslie Kane and my other partner wants to ask all these questions. I just want to ask one question, Leslie, did that hand actually appear? She said, yeah, it appeared. I said, "Was that actually real? She said, yeah, it was there. And it happened more than once. It happened three or four times where she'd be sitting there and this, this sort of watery stuff would come up. She's sitting at a small table with a light under it, a red light under it. And this sort of watery stuff would come up and this hand would start to materialize in front of her. And she said, I touched it. I shook the hand. It, it, was, it, was, it was a real hand. She said, it was as real as any hand I've ever touched. I could feel the knuckles. I could feel the tendons. And then the hand banged twice on the table. And then it just sort of dematerialized. And that's What I say, they're doing. They can materialize matter. They can come into the material world, take on a physical body, do whatever they got to do, and then they just manifest back, go go back to where they they come from. And I think they're just vibrating at a higher level than we are. You know, I
0: uh, have been in Stuart Alexander's seance, also the one that Leslie has spent. She's in it every week, and I experienced not that manifestation, but other manifestations that were incredible and impossible to fake. So it is real that this he's undoubtedly the best physical medium alive now. And uh what you're talking, what I can folks, I can say from my own witness that what he's talking about is is true. Leslie, I know Leslie extremely well. She's a close friend. And. It happened. Yeah, it ha- what happened to me was that there's was this spirit horn, they call them these sort of things like a big, lightweight kind of uh funnel-like thing. And um, it came up off the floor and came and floated in front of my face. There was nothing attached to it at all, top, bottom, side, at all. It was made of, it was not possible For anyone to manipulate a magnetic field so precisely. And then I thought, I thought in my head, this can't be real. And it moved to my face and rubbed up and down on my nose. And I thought, my God, it heard my thoughts and it's rubbing my nose in it. And then uh, there was someone with me and I said, go to her. And it went over to her and moved up and down in front of her, then went up and went all around the ceiling, then came down again and landed where it had started. And that's not, there's no way that didn't happen, folks. So I'm bearing witness here. He's talking about something so weird that we can't believe it, but on some level it's real. And it gets me back to Ann Strieber's incredibly important short statement this has something to do with what we call death and you know uh can you expand on the is this a journey into the world of the dead is that where ufos are actually from grant just riff on that for a while because you're the one of the yeah. best riffers in the world so.
1: <laughs> well yeah I think, I think it, it, they're, they're teaching us I think that's what it is you wrote the book about the school and I think that's what this is like if you were to go back you know, people take it very seriously about what's happening here and now but for example say you learned that three lifetimes ago you got abducted I mean would you freak out about it would you you go go oh that was pretty interesting and then one life you got stabbed by, a, by a, a soldier or something like that well that's pretty cool and you realize that if multiple lives that's the other one they give me is if it's one life then that's one thing but if it's multiple lives everything changes and if it's multiple lives it's all experience it's you got abducted in this one you agreed to come in to raise consciousness and and uh, with the the ufo phenomena whatever it is and in one lifetime you uh, were a king and one lifetime you were a professor at oxford as someone told me i was and stuff like that and it all becomes sort of like experience so i think that's basically what they're doing and I actually, you, you talked about this weird aspect. I actually have released another book. I've re- released three books at the same time. But the other book I uh, released is actually called Weird, and it's about manifestations and apports. And that's this whole idea that that around experiencers, you see people on board the ship who where they bring on dead people and they bring on dead dogs. And and I, I don't think I think I have an example. Where somebody wasn't angry, they're always angry. Like when they, they they're playing with me, they brought my dead the one woman, they brought my dead husband on there, and I was furious. And I said, I don't believe it's my dead husband. Uh, turned turn around, pull up his shirt. He's got a birthmark, and they pulled up his shirt, and there was a the birthmark. And she was just furious. So the one guy brought his dog on there, and he was he was so happy to see his dog. He's playing with his dog, and then then he said he was mad, like, oh, you're playing with my my thoughts and stuff like that. And he, they believed it was a setup. And you see this over and over again that they bring. The the dead people on there, or they take you to the spirit worlds as they did to Ron Johnson, and you see these other bizarre things. Like Ron Johnson's in the spirit world, and they take him. His mother takes him into this building that he said is like 10 to 100 times the size inside. And at the far end of the ta- the room, there's a, a table, and on the tables are these crystals. And, and his mother says, oh, here, these are crystals that are, are, people's lifetimes. And you look at them at a certain angle and you can see your past and future lives and you can plan things. And he said, oh, that's interesting. And he, she said, you don't have a crystal yet. When you die, your crystal will come out of this table. And he, and then he, he saw, oh, my dog's crystal's there. And he looked in his dog's crystal and he's looking at it. He said, I never knew what happened to my dog. He said, but I, I went and I, I, um, looked in the crystal and I saw that my neighbor had shot the dog. And then I'm thinking to myself, hey, that's, that's UFO cover up live. That's 1988 documentary where the falcon stands up and he says the most interesting thing I saw in my entire career of UFO stuff was when the aliens had the crystal and they had this crystal and they showed it to you and you could show it and I think Linda Howe actually said that they, they claimed that they could show the crucifixion of Jesus Christ in this crystal and that you could look back through time in this crystal and then you see Michael Newton, the same thing, Michael Newton describes, he is the famous for the 7,000 regressions life between lives where he takes someone into their last life, yeah. lets them die and then takes them into the spirit world and they describe what happens in the spirit world, how they get there, how they leave and what they do in the spirit world and they go to libraries and in the libraries they have these books and they open the book up and there's a crystal in the book and they look at it at a certain angle and they can see the, the their past and future lifetimes and they plan what they're going to do in the next lifetime i'm going to work on envy i'm going to work on this i'm going to work on ufos or raise consciousness or, or whatever you plan to come into the world to do and so you see this over and over again these 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 things start to make sense or the idea where someone's standing behind you and then you're thinking you i'm thinking to myself is that a spirit guide is this all like a setup? That the spirit guide sets up for you, like a training session, almost like where you mentioned this thing that always impressed me, where Anne comes back and gives you the message, Whitley, I am no longer Anne, but I'll always be Anne to you, and it's this idea of reincarnation that we come in, they Anne plays a role on you with the stage, then Anne leaves. All the world's a stage on Hollywood. Everybody's an every all the all the people are actors, are uh, and have their entrances and exits, and each man plays many roles, and that's this idea that we're playing these roles, and this is maybe a role that you and I have agreed to play, that we we're before we were born, we said, oh, we're going to come in, and Whitley, you say, you're going to write some books, you're going to do this, I'm going to do this, and we have this plan that we're going to do, we're going to try to raise the consciousness, we're going to get together, and we're going to have a couple of interviews, and you start to see this whole thing that it may not be as random as we think it is, we think, oh, we just ended up in the world, and I ended up in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, which is the coldest city in the world, and how unfair is that and we start to you know whine about the world around us and instead of realizing that we came in and that we may be putting the stones in our own path that some things are all things are lessons or what are we learning what are we bringing to the world are we making the world a better place than when we when we came into the world and that sort of thing and i me, it all becomes much more spiritual and less physical
0: yeah that, that's a huge question for me because i always think to myself are my books helpful yeah. are they am i am i leading people astray or am i or, or am i revealing a a useful truth i you know and I'm trying my best is all I can say but it you know i i always think to myself well, if your best isn't good enough, then how do you face that later on when you're in the afterlife I, mean, I have a weird sort of off the wall question Have you ever had or aware are you aware of your any past lives in personally of yours. No,
1: I just had I just had a reading done with K. Randall May, who I got a reading. I was I was diagnosed back last March with only a couple of weeks to live. I was uh, diagnosed with a uh, malignant melanoma, which is the same thing that a, a, a Ship died from, and yeah. uh, um, it was advanced. And they basically wrote it off. I had oncologists and radiologists and doctors, and they all absolutely sure this is the thing and. And uh, they only had a little while to live, so I had a reading done by Kay Randall May. I don't know if you've ever interviewed her.
0: No, she's, but I'm going to now. Go ahead.
1: Yep. Yeah, so she she had she, uh, Kit Green had stated that in terms of the material that she produces, he said I can't tell how accurate she is in terms of her UFO stuff. She wrote a book on quantum physics about how the universe starts and stuff like that. But he said when it comes to medical stuff, she's 95 to 100 percent accurate. So I figured, oh, I'll get a I'll get a reading from her. What have I got to lose? So two weeks after I was diagnosed, I went to Kay Randall May, and then I asked her, and she said, "No, nope, no, nope, you got no cancer. No, nope, I don't. They're the wrong. No, that's not what it is." And uh, that kept that kept me together for six, seven months until they finally made the diagnosis and said, "No, it was a nerve sheath tumor." We they didn't even apologize for making a, a bad diagnosis, but it took them oh. seven months. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, you're gonna die, and then months <laughs> later, Oh, we were wrong. So <laughs> yeah, uh, they didn't even say they're wrong. That was the whole <laughs> thing. They just said, "This is what it is." But she told me that I had been working with the Akashic records and that I had chosen to come back and i thought well that's kind of weird but how do you verify that and she said that i had been uh, at oxford university last century that i had been a a professor there or something at Oxford, and she basically said that you have, uh, you, you're, you're interested in all this kind of stuff, what I'm doing, the whole thing of mysteries and solving stuff and, and being a scholar and all this kind of stuff, and then she would describe my uh, heart murmur, which I had, a uh, bad tooth on the butt, top right-hand side, which I had, uh, bad circulation in the legs, which I had, uh, heart valve problems, which I have. She just, like, oh, bang, bang, bang. She just nailed it all in. Oh, very impressive lady. I mean, very, very impressive. Well, I, folks, you will
0: hear from her on this show if I can get her on. I'm going to get in touch with her today. Yeah. So uh, that is absolutely fascinating. Now, we have, we have moved a distance away from UFO sky pilots because we have been sort of navigating this shadow line between what we think of as physical reality and what we think of as the spirit world is there really any difference i just wonder about that grant is this world that we live in something we choose to see this way yeah or is it absolutely different from the spirit world
1: the way i look at it like a lot of people will because our left brain uh, the material left brain always wants to have things as nouns and the, the, what I've learned is there are no nouns. If somebody says this is a noun, this is a thing, it's wrong. It's a verb. It's all alive. It's all conscious. It's all one thing. And we want to separate it as nouns. And we say there's a separation between me and you. And then you have these people who do the ayahuasca who suddenly say, oh, my goodness, everything was alive, conscious, and connected. And they suddenly are or, or in meditation. They suddenly realize everything's connected. So the way I see it is like water. So if you you drop in the water and you sink down to 150 feet and then you look at a at a at a fish and you say what level am I on the fish is going to go what do you mean what level you're on you're in the water and the way I des- I would describe it is. We are, we are at a very low level of vibration and it's all vibration. So there's consciousness is very still. It doesn't move. And when the consciousness begins, I think the, the, the Hindus describe when, when the, when the vibration begins, the the illusion begins that, that that's all illusion. So we create it with this vibration and it's a very low level. So we're at the bottom of the ocean and we can't really see anything. It's all dark and we're sort of feeling around and stuff like that. And then the odd person like, like K. Randall May suddenly learns how to float. And they go higher in the water and the higher they get into the water, the the more sunshine there is and the more they can see it. They go, Oh, there's this, this, this. And then they go back into the darkness and they say, Oh, there's this and that. And they say, No, 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 you're imagining it. And, and it's the whole idea is to get higher in the vibration that when you get to the surface of the water, that is what you would call God or whatever at the, at the, at the head that it's, it's still. And it's, it's watching and it's almost like a theater. So God, like people will always describe, I want the world to be perfect and, and get rid of all this stuff. And, and, and I say, well, maybe that's not the way it is. Maybe we need the good, the bad, the, 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 the death and all sort of stuff. Like in our body, 330 billion cells die every single day. And do we have a compassion meditation for that? No, we don't care. Who cares about the 330 billion cells that die? It's only when the ego cells dying, then it's like, Oh, phone 911, get somebody in here. Like, Oh my goodness. And, and that's what, That's the whole deal that we're we're doing is that we are are moving up into this vibration, and they're coming down to sort of help us, to uh, sort of almost school us, maybe not help us, because you can't do your kids' schoolwork. You have to just give them these hints. And people want it perfect, but it's like the idea where if you're in a perfect movie and, and you say to you're with Anne and your son and you, and you say, oh, I love you, Anne. And you say, I love you, Whitley. Now I love you, son. And then the son says, I love you, Anne. And then I love you. I love you. I love you. And God says, ah, I'm going to get out of this movie theater. And he goes over to the next movie theater where it's American <laughs> politics and it's Trump versus Biden. And he's sitting on the edge of his seat and he goes to get some more popcorn and he's watching. And it's like, holy cow, this is so exciting. And people are learning lessons that we got, we got to realize it's, it's not the good and the bad. It's the, it's the lessons that we learn that we may, choose, like I always point out to people that with UFO experiences, 37% of all UFO experiencers have had a near death experience. So what's the chances that you have two random events? Like you choose that you randomly got abducted off the street and then you randomly went through the front of a car windshield and had an out of body experience. What's the chance yeah. of the 37%? And the thing is, it's, it means not random. It's planned that you plan to go through a window and you plan to have an abduction to learn certain r- things about the universe that that's what makes you learn. We don't learn when, we're, when everything's going good. We say, oh, we're so smart. It's the bad things that actually make us move and learn things.
0: That's very true. You know, I want to get – we have departed fairly far from the subject of the show, which is the Sky Pilots. Yeah. And I want to get back into it by going to the 737 captain. Yeah. And why don't you tell us about – tell us his story – and by the way, folks, this is books full of these stories. It's, it's a real, really fascinating stuff. And, uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to get later into, uh, the Wilson document and DARPA and all kinds of things that are particularly interesting to me for various reasons. Uh, that, um, in any case, let's talk now about him, about the 737 pilot.
1: Okay, that was story was given to me. I heard it from from uh, dr joe burks who' a who uh, was a um, um, emergency room doctor in San Francisco and in Los Angeles. And he told me this story. We were doing the whole thing with uh, portals, with uh, the the mission Rama, and the um, the what they call um, zendras, where they are they raise their vibration, and then the beings lower their vibration, and these these zendras open, and then they go inside this zendra, and they 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 can interact with these beings. And I was I was documenting these stories. I wrote two books about it about uh, all these very pe- people off the street. So Joe Burks told me the story. He said he was telling me about um, this Joe uh, Vallejo, who was a 747 uh, captain. He started with a 737. He ended up being a captain on a 747, and uh, he had had this uh, Zender experience where there was 49 people. They take them seven at a time in the Zendra. So I was talking to, I wanted to talk to him about the Zendra experience and and what happens inside a Zendra in a portal and and what encounters he had with beings and stuff like that. And then he said, oh yeah, I also had this experience with flying the ship. And I said, oh yeah, he flew the ship. And I'm thinking, well, this is really good. This is uh, like a pilot who, and, and then, so when he told me the story, basically it was that he had the dream. Again, he said, oh, I think it was a dream. And he told Joe, no, no, Joe, it's just a dream. I had this dream. I was flying the craft and I had my hands on this panel and I'm flying through this clouds and stuff like that. And whatever I was thinking was the, what the craft was doing. And I was one with the craft and the craft was alive, the whole the whole nine yards. And um, so then he, about a year later, he comes back to Joe and he said, Joe, he said, you know, I had that dream again about flying the craft. And then Joseph. I think it's time that you uh, told the story. So he basically reiterated the story and then he went on uh, the record with me and he basically told me the same story. The fact that he was he was flying this craft and that he um, this whole idea that the craft is alive and uh he he found it amazing, but again he hes he remembered it as a dream, which again you'll get people describing this all the time and and the idea that their u f o experience on board the ship seemed to be a dream i don't know if it was on a sh- ship, I think it was just a dream, and that's where you get the Chandler Bashar Bashar says, "We come to you in your dreams because now." You're in our world. And that's the whole deal is they're moving you into this vibration that that is their vibration and they can meet you sort of in the middle and they and they do this kind of stuff. And you come across these very bizarre stories that 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 link into this. I can give you one that I don't think you've you've heard before. And that's this idea of how weird this stuff actually gets. This is a story that's told. um, It happened in 2000 at Mount Shasta This involved a series of about 40 people, all mostly Latinos from Mexico and from California, we had met there, and uh, there was a being by the name of Adama who promised that he would interact with them if they came to the mountain in August of 2020, and um, so we, we, I interviewed three of the nine people that were involved. They were sitting in the middle of this, what's called the sand flats up on Mount Shasta. They're having a birthday party. It's two o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden, the one woman who's an intuitive says, hey, there, Adama's here. He's here. And he said, well, how do you know? I just know he's here. And this is this idea that once you've touched the craft, once you vi- touch the craft, you vibrate with the craft. So when the craft is around, you can feel it. It's like the craft is here. I can feel it because you vibrated. You've been one with the craft. And she said, they're here. They're here. And then, they, then she said, oh, look, there's a light over there. That's where they are. And they said, nah, it's just, it's just a light of uh, somebody in, in a camp or whatever. And she said, no, no, that's them. I, I know it's them. And then she says, oh, they're saying they want us to come over there. And then she said, they said, well, they said, we're not going to go over there. It's, it's a pitch, pitch dark. And it's if you can't see your hand in front of your face. And there's these potholes and stuff. And somebody's going to break their leg. And so then the intuitive says to them to a damage, she says, you come over here. And we're scared. We don't want to go over there. And then she said, it was like a herd of buffaloes coming across this field. You can hear these buffaloes. And they're all these nine people are sitting there. And all of a sudden she said. They levitated into the air. These nine people are levitated into the air and they were scared. They didn't know what to do. So they they grabbed each other's hands and they started to, they started to, uh, do these, these, uh, an oming thing. They were oming and the the beings appeared. This Adama who has the long hair appeared and, uh, the beings started to, to, uh, to, uh, do this oming thing as well. And then they said exactly what Joe Vallejo, who flown the craft said. They said, Hey, and, and when we omed, it sounded like we were underwater. And that's exactly what Joe said. When you're inside a Zendra, uh, inside these portal things, when you talk, it sounds like you're underwater. And so as soon as they said, oh, we, we, were, we were doing this ohming thing. It was really weird because it sounded like we were underwater. I said... They're inside of Zendra. They didn't know. They were there. And they were floated. And then uh, they, they were they were there. And the, the beings were there. And I said to the one guy, they didn't want to talk at first. And then suddenly they all wanted to talk. And they were talking over each other. And the one guy from San Francisco, I said, how many beings were there? Uh, Adama, who else? And he said, there were as many beings as there were trees in the forest and there were all these energy type beings Adama was there with all these energy type beings hundreds and hundreds of beings and these are the kind of stories that you hear that go into this thing about in the environment where they can take you into a ship or into a Zendra it's the same thing once they take you into the Zendra people will describe the being is standing there there's there's seven people in the Zendra and everybody's having a different experience everybody's having a different conversation with, with that being and they're all in the same thing so uh, this is this idea that we we are just at a different vibration than they are and that they can lower themselves into our vibration, teach us a lesson, do weird things that, that sort of get our attention and then go back and then we're scrambling around trying to figure it out and it really doesn't matter because it's 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 all it's not about are we going to save the world or anything like that it's about are we going to learn any lessons in this life are we going to gain anything because when we leave the world we're going to just go into another lesson and did we learn anything did we make the world a better place so it's not about making the saving the world i even say and people get sort of assault i said even if we destroy the world it really doesn't matter we're still going to come back it's like making a baby you just keep running that plate till you get it right they keep coming back you keep Coming back and learning your lessons.
0: Well, you know that's a very interesting question because we may be facing uh, an extinction yeah. event. It's it's certainly possible, and if that happens, and there are no bodies to come back to, in other words, the planet can't support life anymore for at least a while. I mean, it's it's done this many yeah. times. I mean, there. But at the end of the Permian, it was ten million years before there was really much life on earth again and that's a long time to wait
1: yeah. will we
0: just have to wait until the planet can support bodies again to come yeah. back well what
1: we've got to realize is that it's a big universe i mean i remember i, I point out to people that science thinks they've got everything all sort of understood but you got to remember it was only 100 years ago 1925 when hubble uh, when hubble had a big debate with shopley uh, about Galaxies. And he said, I've discovered this Andromeda galaxy. And he said, no, it's not in a galaxy. I'm the authority on the cosmology. It's not a galaxy. It's a, it's a cloud inside the Milky Way. And they had this big debate about whether there's one galaxy or more. Now it's like there's two trillion galaxies. And what we've got to realize is the idea that, that it's life, death, life, death, life, death. We think we want no death. But if a cell doesn't die in the human body, that's called a cancer cell. It doesn't want to die. It keeps reproducing itself. That cells are designed to die. And, and you see in the, in the, in the Milky, in the, the universe, you see star systems colliding with each other, that it's this system of life and death, life and death, life and death, and that we move in and out, moving in and out, and that death is part of the whole process. We want everything to be perfect. We want this this love movie, or we want, a, a, you know, sitting on the side of a beach, I always say to people, they say, I'm not coming back. I'm getting off the karmic wheel, and I'm not coming back, and I always say, how long do you think you can sit on a, on a, on a beach in Hawaii how many billion years do you think you can sit there and drink thighs before you get bored and say, "Oh, I want to go back. I want to do something." Or if your kids are in trouble, you hear, "Oh, my kid. I'm not going to go back. No, I'm not going back to the world. We're always going to come back because that's what it's about. It's it's about everybody making the world a better place. So you write books and you you introduce information. The the universe gets more information. It gets more knowledge. We and and people build buildings and we build buildings in the spiritual world and we and and the world gets more magnificent and bigger and and that's what the what the universe is all about. God making this magnificent world and, and a universe that gets bigger and bigger and more complex and and, and better but it's we that are building it because it's all made out of consciousness. And then we get away from the victim thing. It's not like God stuck me here and I got the bad end of the stick. It's I stuck myself here and then I can't be a victim. I gotta say, okay, why would I allow this to happen to me? Why why would this possibly and try to learn the lesson? Because when you get into a psychology situation, if you go to a psychologist, they will tell you that until you actually take responsibility and take whether you did it or not, whether you're responsible until you could take responsibility for the situation you're in, you're never going to get cured. As long as you can blame the yeah. mother in law and the dog ate the homework and, and the aliens and God and you know, whatever, you're, you're never going to get cured, and that's what it is. It's this process of learning, it's life, death, life, death. And we we've got to realize that there, like there's a million ants for every a human being, and ants are dying all the time, the stuff is dying around us all over the place and that's the process that it you stuff dies it comes and it's more evolved the next time uh, a higher uh, evolution and it moves along and the universe just gets more grand and magnificent and that's what god is watching he's sitting there with his popcorn and watching this whole movie as it unfolds as we build it for him
0: well you know something fascinating that we don't ever think about I, i i learned this from a statistician statistician who I wish would come on Dreamland, but he won't because, you know, his yeah. his field is not yeah. related. But he's, he's got a lot of fascinating things to say. We've been friends for a while. And he said this about the universe and about stars. He said, it is so huge that there are probably millions of stars being born and dying every second. Yeah. And that's an amazing thought. Stars. These huge, nearly eternal beings are actually being born and dying in the millions every day. What an amazing place this is. I want to circle back to another question about the amazing. And that is this intimate relationship between people and what I call the visitors, and I'm not sure what you would call them, are we part of them and they part of us. Is this even biologically another level of humanity that we are dealing with? Or is this whole idea of alien humans simply uh, something that should be part of the past, that we shouldn't even think about it that way?
1: The the way I, and this is just my opinion, but I believe, yes, it's all one thing. This is the main, this is, I believe, the number one message they want us to understand. It's all One thing. It's like Jan Hartson saying to Ben Rich at Lockheed Skunkworks, "How do they get here, Ben? How do the propulsor system? How do they get here?" And he said, "What do you know about ESP?" And then Jan Hartson says, "Everything in time and space is connected." And he said. That's how it works. Gets in his car and drives away. It's all one thing. It's a verb. It's just, it's, and so you have to, um, look at it almost like the Newton thing that before we come in, we plan. We think it's random that we just sort of get stuck here. And no, no, we plan to come in. We, we get these choices and, and we want to learn this. We want to learn that. And, and, and sometimes we have to play, uh, uncomfortable roles. There's this funny story I was told. These guys are standing at a bus stop and they're all, they're, they're all going back to earth to, to live another life. And the one guy says, he said, what are you going to work on? And the guy said, oh, I'm going to work on uh, forgiveness. And I did a level two last time. And this time I'm going to do a level nine. And then the other people say, oh, that's grand. Oh, fantastic. Oh, you're just that's wonderful. And and how are you going to do that? And then the guy said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm, is I'm going to have i um, I'm going to have have a wife and three kids. And then we're going to be uh, driving along, and a school bus is going to hit us, and my wife and my kids are going to die, and then um, I'm going to be paralyzed for the rest of my life, and I'm going to forgive the guy that drove the school bus. And they said, oh, that's terrible, that's terrible. And they and they said, but that that's grand. And then he says, oh, I just want to let you know, he says... The the bus ain't coming back to Earth until one of you guys volunteers to be the school bus driver. And then they go, no, no, we don't want to be a school bus driver. And that's what we've got to realize is that that we may be part of this whole. We see the the alien as as transgressors and stuff. But like I say to people, uh, what happens if you're born, you die and then you're born and you suddenly realize you're great? And, and you're 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 there. Are you now sort of this evil guy that it, I think there's packs? I think there you'll hear a lot of experiences. you you've dealt with a lot of experiences. They'll say, this is not my family. That's my family up there. They're the ones that are my family. We even had a, a girl out of Scotland who is a fascinating girl uh, who was talking to us last night. And she basically said, she tells me what planet she's from. She does light language. She's uh, She basically says clearly that, that, this, that this is her family and that she's here on a mission and stuff like that. And you hear this over and over again. And you think, well, these people are kind of crazy. But when you hear it enough times from experiencers saying there's a connection between me and them, or this thing about the soul guide. When you hear like, there's always one being. Like you'll deal with a lot of beings, but most people they'll, whether it's Da, whether it's LB, or whether it's, they, they all have names for them. There's one being they deal with, and that being, and then you start to wonder like, is this really a being, or is it their spirit guide who is playing this role that they've agreed to play this role? And that's the idea of these people behind them. So when Jim Semivan said, there's this entity behind me, and he has this this guardian type thing going on i went hey that's a soul guy that's like and and he, and he and he didn't even answer the question about telepathy that was his answer to the question about yeah. he thought that was so strange and and that's where you start to realize like if everything is is vision that you can create whatever you want we have created this wor- the world that we are in and are manifesting it and we we, we think there's an independent World out there, and that was the big debate that, that Einstein had. I'd like to know the moon is behind me when I'm not looking. And then Bohr basically said, No, no, don't don't argue with 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 God. And they had this big debate at the 1927 Solvay Conference. That was what the debate was about. It was this idea: is consciousness primary? And and people were saying, and no, no, no. And they were fighting about this the primary consciousness. And then what happened in in quantum physics is that the quantum physics was so good for developing technology, electronic technology. And, and Richard Feynman denies he said it, but somebody said it. They said, "Shut up and calculate. Forget about the the philosophical implications of the dual slit experiment and consciousness. Forget all that stuff. Just build technology. Just build stuff yeah. with the equations and don't worry." You about know, that kind of it's
0: stuff. so like Richard Feynman. I bet he said it. He just won't. He passed <laughs> on now, but it just sounds so much like him. We have come to the end of our first hour with Grant, and our next half hour with Grant, we're going to go a little bit more deeply into issues concerning government and its relationship to this. Uh, We've mentioned Jim Semivan, we've mentioned uh, Lockheed Skunk Works and knowledge of ESP and its relationship to the material world, which is very startling. We're going to start with question about Whether or not the government possesses a craft. And I'll have a little bit to say about that at the beginning of the, of our discussion. And, but free dreamlanders, I'm so glad you stayed with us this long and I hope to see you again next week. Toward the end of the book, you have a section on DARPA, and a section on the Wilson memo. Uh, now, I, I before we get into this, I would like to say this, that my Uncle Mickey uh, and General Exon both gave me a lot of information. Uh, Mickey less than General Exon, who was a very talkative guy in his old age, fortunately. Um, and... I thought when I was having lunch with my uncle, I got the feeling that he had seen a craft. But I then I his wife was there. And I think that she knew even though she had not I don't think she had personally seen it. And um, I mean, a craft that in our possession. And I said, to him, I said, have you seen one of these things? Do we have one? And she suddenly interrupted and said, Whitley, have you seen the materials? And I thought to myself, I know this is a coded question. And if it can answer it correctly, they're going to talk to me. But I couldn't answer it correctly. <laughs> so he clammed up then and didn't say anything more. And if I had said enough to where he could know that i i had inside knowledge he would have gone farther down the road but i didn't have inside knowledge and i still don't and so i'm not an insider basically except for the visitors who have a habit of telling me any damn thing they please and I so i end up with all this classified information that i didn't i don't know is classified and i haven't signed anything so you know i babble about it and then I get all kinds of problems with various security <laughs> people. But in any case, uh, let's go on. The Wilson memo. Uh, t- tell us about what it, it seemed to be in, uh, in in the memo about possibly the U.S. possessing one of these craft.
1: Okay. At the very end of the – well, near the end of the document, second last page – uh, the the whole idea is that Admiral Wilson goes looking for the program. He's told about it by Edgar Mitchell and Stephen Greer, and he realizes one of the components is under him. And why am I not? Why do I know? He goes on this search for the classified uh, flying saucer program that everybody's looked at, everybody's heard about, and, and poked at. And, and so he goes, and he actually ends up talking to a lawyer in one of the programs and they confirm, yes, uh, th- there's a back engineering program. And he said, you know, like, I, I, I'm, I'm demanding to know. And they said, you know, you're, you don't have a, a right to know. And the lawyer hangs up the phone on him and he becomes very upset. And then they, they back him off by saying he wanted to be the head of defense intelligence agency. And they said, uh, if you don't back off, you're going to lose a star. And you're going to uh, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. So he backs off. And then once he finishes his three years as the head of defense intelligence, then he sort of comes public and he talks to Eric Davis. This meeting is arranged three years before he talks to Eric Davis. And that's where he tells him the story. He said, um, and, and this struck me as very significant. It fit right into the book. He said, um, we have a craft and we believe it'll fly. So what does that mean? It means we have a craft and we can't fly it. It's an intact craft. You've heard I've heard this story for years, decades, that they have an intact craft that was given to them, and it's there and they can't turn it on. Don Schmidt told me they can't find the start button. They can't turn it on, and that is because when you when you talk to all the people who've flown the craft, it's like putting your finger on your cell phone and opening the cell phone. You need somebody's hands a consciousness interface to turn the craft on. So you have this craft and it's sitting there and they can't turn the craft on because they, 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 they can do whatever they want. And uh, there's even the idea that they, we were given this stuff, even if you listen to, I always talk about listening to the high-level people. So you listen to Bob Bigelow, and Bob Bigelow is asked, uh, do we actually have a craft? And he said, well, yeah, we have a craft, I believe. Uh, but I believe China, China has one as well, and Russia has one as well, and I think South America has one as well. And he said, I think they're seeding them. They're seeding them around the world for all different, and then Jacques Vallée. I brought up to Jacques Vallée about the metamaterials that you have and other people have, and I said to Jacques, said, "Jacques, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, these crafts that come all the way across the galaxies, and they, they avoid the black holes and, and planets and stars and whatever, and they get here, and then little pieces start to fall off the craft. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It looks like they're dropping it. It looks like they're gifting the stuff. And then and then he he says to you he says, "Why?" Well, I think I kind of came up with that term gifting and if you see uh, the story that uh, Diane Pasolka tells about Tyler D when they go to the gifting field she says they start to pray and they have these altars there and, and that they they that they were told it was a gifting field they called it the gifting field where this material is given to them it's so they're amazing. sort of they're sort of giving start. us this stuff but we have to go through the lessons we've got to learn all these lessons and this consciousness interface I think they know for example Tom DeLonge talks about being in a Lockheed Skiff in 2015 and they're asking about this crazy uh, uh, conspiracy thing he used to have on the uh, website he used to have. What, what's with the website? And he's trying to explain it. And then uh, Robert Weiss comes out of the back room. And he said, oh, you just saved me from this question or whatever. And he said, I'm talking to the head scientist. And the head scientist says, so, how does it work? Almost like Ben Rich. How does it work? How did it get here? And then he said... Uh, uh, he was hanging around with Greer at the time. He broke off with Greer and, and, and doesn't see eye to eye with Greer anymore. But at the time he was with Greer, Greer had given a bunch of tapes and stuff like that, and he was hiding them under the bed and stuff. And he said, oh, I think uh, consciousness is involved, because that's what Greer always says. And then he says, the, the head scientist said, now you're talking. And he said, that's all the head scientists wanted to talk about for 45 minutes. You couldn't shut them up. You wanted to talk about consciousness. So, yeah, I think they understand the principle. And that's why they did Ultra. as far as I'm concerned. That's because in 1947, they had the craft. And they they realized there was no real engine. There was no steering wheel. There was nothing. And they had the live alien. If the live alien story is true, the one that was at Ray Patterson, that it was talking in people's heads, they would realize... There's there's a consciousness connection and that appears in a 1950 Canadian government top secret document where Wilbur Smith goes to American officials and he comes back and he writes to the Canadian government. I was I talked to American officials and I was told the following, flying saucers exist. It's the most highly classified subject in the United States. There's a small group headed by Dr. Vannevar Bush who are trying to figure it out. The subject is of tremendous significance to the Americans. And I was also told that other things might be associated with the flying saucers, such as mental phenomena. The Americans are doing very well because they've asked if we're working on it, they're willing to exchange credentials and talk to us. So in 1950, two years before Adamski appeared, saying they he was talking to an alien who was talking telepathically. Already, the Canadians were told by the Americans that telepathy was involved, that mental phenomena was involved. The only way they could know that was because they had a live alien. So they knew that the, the craft was flown with the mind. They knew that this alien was, was talking in their heads. And that's what they did on k They didn't know on Ultra because they wanted to play with drugs or whatever. They were trying to unlock consciousness and they've been doing it ever since. And DARPA, I will guarantee you, is working on this. And I say, that's why they went to Skinwalker Ranch. They could have cared less about UFOs at Skinwalker Ranch. They heard the story about the portal. They wanted to know about that. And when the head guy went there, that metal thing appeared above bigelow's head that was floating around and he looked to the side and looked back and it was still there and he realized that this was the potential that you could take bulls and put them through metal into a trailer you could make things appear and disappear and 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 it was this telepathy thing that was going on and they realized that if you could unlock consciousness if you could unlock this the the, the, the weird paranormal stuff at skinwalker ranch you could unravel all the mysteries and that's true all no, the but, mysteries are connected. There's you can't parse the mysteries. They're all to the same thing.
0: What the lock is on that door? It's fear. Yeah. Fear. And it's yeah. not it's not simple fear. It's a very complex fear that has to do and I have lived this and seen it lived uh, uh with the fear of being pulled out of the time stream and therefore your life plan Okay. Will be disrupted because you will then know your future life plan, meaning that all of the energy that you have come here to get will you will not get because you will in effect have a per, in a permanent state of déjà vu. That is a fear literally more intense than the fear of death, yeah. and they don't they they don't understand anything about how to dispel that fear, and it's. It's, it is a, it is a life journey for me to dispel that fear in myself and others. And I, and I think maybe without articulating it, it's your life journey too. And the life journey of all of us who are really in the part of this thing that counts and the part that counts is not so much. The part about metal, metals and wires, and although we've made a lot of advances because we've been able to study these metals yeah. that were from the donation site or the gifting site, yeah. as you call it, uh, the the, um, the key thing is getting used to this new state of being, which is a state of consciousness which which walks a tightrope between knowing your whole future and losing the reason for your, for being alive. And, and at the same time, being conscious enough to sit down in a UFO, become part of it and let it become part of you
1: and just have
0: fun. Yeah. And, and <laughs>
1: The You're other going. thing I think they, they want to do is they want to keep us in a state of awe and, 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 and wonder. And that's what drags you down the road. It's like you couldn't give it up, the same as me. People, you used to have these stories okay, where people no say, way. oh, the guy quit, the guy quit, he's, he's, he's done with UFOs and we go, do no way. everybody comes back, nobody quits. <laughs> it's like, you get dragged down, almost like the idea, and it's the same thing when your, your whole life changes when you, and people don't understand this, unless you've had the experience. Uh, those are the only people that know. Everybody else just believes. They believe they know what you had. No, no, no. You, you, Whitley just was there. He he knows what's going on, and and so people will will have these experiences. And it's almost like the same thing with near death experience people. A lot of people don't realize that people who have near death experiences, according to the figures that I've seen, 75 to 80% of them get divorced because they completely change. They're not the same person that the person married. They become obsessed with this about the life and about what, what the state they were in. And it's the same as you and I. We, once you've had that experience, you become obsessed and it drags you into down the rabbit hole and it's the left brain is trying to figure it out and you're, you're just uh, amazed with this sort of thing. And I think that's the way they, they want it is that that's what raises consciousness. So in the end, it doesn't matter how many bad jokes there are made about UFOs. The same as it doesn't, didn't matter how many bad jokes were made about African-Americans and, and gays and stuff. In the end, when you, when they make all these movies, in the end... People will make the right decision. it will get to a certain point, almost like the, when the New York Times article came out. For years, people ridiculed us about UFOs and they don't exist, whatever. And then 1997 comes, they write the article and everybody goes, yeah, I knew that already. Yeah, I knew that already. Give me the next thing. And it, you, you, are, we're acclimatizing people. We don't realize it, but we're acclimatizing people. And the young generation, you can go to them, and you say, do you think there's portals? And they go, well, of course there's portals. Do you think there's aliens? Oh, of course there's aliens. And the young, it's yeah. almost like Max Planck says, you do not, you do not convince your opponent by convincing him he's wrong, uh, it's, it's science moves one funeral at a time, and the new generation is not offended with the idea. And that's what it is: the new that's generation true. will not be offended by the ideas that, that that scare you and I.
0: Well, they don't scare me, and yeah. I don't think they scare you either. No, but they but, scare our generation. Yes, that's yeah. for sure.
1: Yeah. And you know, consciousness
0: right now, if you get into neurology at all, there's the thrust of of conventional neurology is when it comes to consciousness is how can we find how the brain produces it? Yeah, not how the brain experiences it. Exactly, And that is a whole different thing, because consciousness is inside us because we are inside
1: consciousness. Exactly, exactly.
0: And and so now that gets me to the form of the visitors of the beings. They are much lighter than we are physically. Yeah. They're much, they're, I wouldn't say necessarily insubstantial when they're in the physical form, but light. I mean, you could, you could, you know, if you wanted to, uh, embrace one of them, they're very fragile and light and you have to be really careful. You have to be very aware of your movements because, uh, uh, you're embracing this person who is very old and very full of of truth and being a sacred individual who looks like terrible. <laughs> 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 uh, and, and you have to be so careful because when he's close to you, you realize this is not, this is like a little piece of balsa of wood or something. It's just yeah. so fragile. Is, there, is that lightness why they can, be so proficient in the non-physical part of reality when they are also projected into the physical.
1: Yeah, I don't. That I'm not really too sure of. I, I've heard. I know, I know what you're talking about. The thing that I found kind of strange was that in the in a lot of cases you see that the beings seem to change um, as as we go along. For example, Nancy Tremaine, who is actually the first. Um, person to experience ab- abduction. She wrote two books on it a couple of months before Betty and Barney Hill described she was talking about reptilians, that she had these encounters with the reptilians and she had this uh, child that was a reptilian and stuff and she showed the proof that she had, which was pretty interesting. And, and then I said, but Nancy, uh, in 61, when you were on board the ship, what did Mr., she called him Mr., what did Mr. look like? She said, oh, he was a human being. And he had uh, dark hair and he was sitting at a council. And I said, well, then he was a reptilian and he was a human being. And then she said, well, now they come as energy beings. So the woman was describing three different beings that she that she described the same guy. And she had no problem in saying he was this and then he turned into this and then he turned into this. Almost like uh, if you seen the debate that was done, it wasn't a debate, a discussion between John Mack and Bud Hopkins where they're at in Boston. And then Bud, uh, uh, Bud, uh, John Mack says, but he says, you know, it's, it's really interesting. He says, you know, I'm the psychiatrist here. You think I'd be having all the real bad ones? He said, I'm not having all the spiritual seeking ones. And you're having all the bad ones. And maybe that has more to do with you and I. And that's this idea of imposing it upon the thing or even the the, the guy. I, I never remember his name. Sparks. Jim Sparks. He Jim tells the story. Yeah. About the, he's the guy who came up with the whole idea of screen, uh, screen imaging that the beings can sort of appear as whatever they want. And he he had the the one being and he said the being was there and he was he was angry. He said, "Oh, you're just screen imaging me. You're screen imaging me." And the guy the the the, the person was it looked like a human being. He was dressed there and he said, "You're just screen imaging. You're you're not a you're not a military person. You don't even have the right uniform on." And he said, "Bang!" Like that, the uniform changed to the right uniform. He said, <laughs> <laughs> And that's the whole thing is, is they can mess with your, your impression of, of what is actually real and what's not real. Almost like it's a very plastic world that they can sort of change to whatever they want and we have an influence on. Or I even say like the thing with the greys and the, and the reptilians. I say, if you go to the Mission Rama, which is 25,000 people, which is started in Peru in 1974, and they're all around the world and they have these events where they do the meditation and try to bring in UFOs and stuff like that. And they have the Zendras that open quite often. And um if you look there, I mean, they have no no grays, no reptilians and no mantis ever. There's no description. All theirs are have the, the beings with the long hair, like the Adamski type beings and stuff like that. And then you start wondering, like, are we part of almost like the aliens have got the world separated into different sections? I'll work with them. You work with them or that we are part of the, what we're manifesting, that we are we are seeing and that we have this influence on on what we have, because you even call them like the white brotherhood. And I mean, it's like, oh my goodness, they live under the mountain. And these are like old ideas that are still being put out. And yet there's no doubt that they are able to produce uh, events. They had, they produced one at 933. They said it would happen at 933. Told me where it would happen. I was there and this thing happened over my head at exactly when they said. So I'm, I'm impressed with them, but they, they don't have the same sort of beings. Or I talked to the, one of the people from the, the big, uh, repository of books and collections in Sweden and he, he's on the board and he absolutely maintains there are no abductions in, in Sweden or and he said in Sweden we have this thing where the, the UFOs are flying along and they go into swamps and he said it's been going on since 1930, 1946 and he, I said well, are they still going on? He said oh yeah they're going on all the time. These, you, they don't look like UFOs they look like rockets. They go across and go into swamps. Well I've never heard of that in America and it's almost like it's, it's a different thing. It's uh, like according to the the, the culture they're dealing with.
0: That's the ghost rocket phenomenon.
1: Yeah. And And he said it's still going on all the time. It's like, it has not stopped. That's
0: fascinating. I did not know it was still going on. I thought it was something, a manifestation back in the, in the, Forties, but but
1: that but, doesn't happen in America, and that's where you start wondering. No. Or I even say like the people will just say the bad aliens, and, and and I would say the the joke I say, how come the the bad aliens never have hair, and the the good aliens they all have nice hair. And I said, I mean if if if, <laughs> if, if I was if I was an advanced being, the first thing I would work on is getting some hair. I mean, can you imagine a woman that's going <laughs> to hey, say, oh, I'm going to well, give up but- my hair? I mean, come on, this is like it's it's almost like why are they. Why are they doing this? It's almost like uh, it's it's a part of a, a role that they're playing or whatever. Because that's the thing is they can come into the world. And as they've told, uh, uh, Ronin, they told Yossi Ronan, they don't need bodies. They can come in as whatever they want. They can manifest as whatever they want. And uh, so I think we have a part in, in terms of what we're seeing, in terms of uh, what we're dealing with.
0: I think that's exactly right. I think that that we are, in effect, building the relationship. Yeah. And a big part of it is going to be related to the whole concept of piloting these craft because we are going to be in a different density when we are doing this. Mm -hmm. And I think that this planet is taking us toward that different density, that this species is, in effect, being born into a higher density or or a, 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 a less dense Form And the reason is that the planet will soon be not able to support us in this form. Mm -hmm. We will come into a less dense form, just like the others have. And we will, when we do that, realize that there are no aliens and that there are no us, that it's all consciousness, conscious entities, all of us. And now... I, I you mentioned um let me see here. Uh, uh uh oh yeah, let's let's talk briefly about uh artificial intelligence. You've got a very oh, yeah. brief yeah. piece yeah. on it, but it's really very interesting. So why don't yeah. you give us your take on How artificial intelligence relates to all of this.
1: Yeah. This is, this is what, one of the things I forgot. I should have brought this up right at the beginning when we were talking about the flying the craft. That is one of the most important things. Like, you'll have all these arguments in science and, uh, philosophy about artificial intelligence. Is it going to take over? How's it going to work? And stuff like this. If these people are telling the true story, This is artificial intelligence 5,000 years from now or 10,000 years from now or a million years from now. This is what it's going to look like. It is a biological system that we build. And that's the problem I think we're making in terms of um, artificial intelligence. So we say once the system gets complex enough, then suddenly uh, consciousness is going to jump out and say, here I am, here I am, and it's not going to happen. You can have as complex a system as you want. For example, you can take all the computers, and so if you take computers and cell phones, there's probably like 15 billion computers and cell phones. You link them all together on the Internet. They're all wired together, and it, absolutely nothing will happen. So you say that's a very complex system. You have a lot of uh, um, memory. You have a lot of processing power. Nothing happens. First of all, you need someone to put the electricity in there. You need a consciousness who builds an electrical system that powers the thing. You need someone, a consciousness to build the 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 computers you need a consciousness to sit at a computer and put the information in there the internet doesn't appear it's all the all the, the minds working as one putting all the information into a central thing that then is accessible almost like a, a a collective akashic record and so consciousness is will never appear out of computers and that is because they're using non-biological systems. As soon as you use biological systems, biological systems can reproduce themselves. They have consciousness. They have thought. They can, they can, uh, like a cell. People say, well, it's just a cell division. And I say, if you take a look at a cell division, you, let's see you do that. I mean, it, it takes, it does this, this, and it does this, and then these things split apart, and there's a hundred trillion, uh, atoms being put together, and they're all in the right three-dimensional spot, and it does this over and over again for a hundred years, and stuff like that. And we realize it's a very complex system once it's biological. So one of the things I've quoted in the book, is people think, well, you know, it's going to be a a material system like a computer is not. It's going to be a biological system that we learn to uh, build bigger and bigger. And we already have them. And anybody wants to look at it, all you have to do is look F-22 rat brain. Put it in a Google search. You'll come across some white world research that was done at the University of Southern Florida in 2004. So this is 20 years ago. And you can imagine if this is the white world 2020 years ago, you can imagine what the black world's doing with this stuff. Uh, so what they did is they took 20,000 neurons from a rat brain. They put them into a Petri dish. And the interesting thing was they put them in the Petri dish and you say, well, it's going to be entropy. They're all going to fall apart. It's all going to die. And that's the guy said that's not ex- exactly the opposite of what happened. They put them in the Petri dish. And all of a sudden he said you could see the cells started to talk and communicate, and they started making connections between each other. And suddenly, it turned into this little tiny brain that was talking to itself. So it went together as a conscious system, and it it built it. Then what they did is they wired in electrodes into the bottom of this Petri dish, and they wired it into uh, an F-22 rafter simulator. And I asked uh, George Feiler, who you probably know, major UFO guy on the East Coast. I said, George, how hard is it to fly an F-22 simulator? He said, it's pretty hard. So what they did is they wired it in and they taught the the, the system. They would send it a high a high high signal and the, the the rat brain. They taught it to send a low signal back and then it would keep the nose from going up and down. They could do it and then the wings side to side. And they they taught this twenty thousand neurons of a rat brain to fly an F twenty two simulator. And this is on the video and you will see the video. And then what they do is they take the wind and they take they got thunderstorms and wind and the side winds and stuff and they as hard as uh, as any pilot will ever pilot in terms of weather, they put that in there and the the plane is just flying along and this F-22 is flown by 20,000 rat brains and neurons. But again, it's a biological system that's able to, to connect and, and to talk and to build and reproduce itself and build new cells. And, and, and then they have the ones with the robots where they have them on a table. And they have the rat brain inside the robot and this thing is going and it's voting walls and it's driving around and the guy's got this little thing and this rat brain, so you can see if that's what they've got. Then in DARPA, where they work on the leading edge of everything, you can bet that they are working on these biological systems. To make uh, robots to uh, learn things, and it's amazing what what can be done. But you need a bi- what's called a bio board. You need a biological system in order for it to work. It's not going to work with a bunch of wires stuck together. You need biological, and that's the whole thing. The whole universe is biological. If you ever had Robert Lanza on, he was considered one of the top hundred people in the world in 2014. He had experiences, UFO experiences. And his his whole idea is biology is the basis of the universe and everything is, is working off this biological thing that it keeps getting more and more complex and it takes it gets information and it puts information in the DNA that DNA is carried to the next generation and it gets more complex and it moves along. So uh, I think we're moving at great lengths in terms of uh, being taught by the intelligence. About consciousness, because 20 years ago you could not talk about consciousness. I mean, you would if you were in a PhD in a university, you'd lose your job if you talked about consciousness. Also in the UFO field,
0: I mean, 20 years ago you talked about consciousness, you got booted out of everything. I know that because I did, and it
1: happened. Yeah, and and now it's it's like an acceptable type thing. So you can see that the consciousness is rising, and now it's just a debate about how does consciousness work and stuff like that, and uh, you know whether it's uh you know inside the thing. But I agree with you. The brain is just the idiot in between. The brain is 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 involved. It, it's 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 a correlate. But it's not causation. And people confuse correlation with causation. It's not the causation of consciousness. It is in the middle and it's in, interacting. It's almost the idea that you talked about before. Is, is anybody who's had a near, an out-of-body experience or a near-death experience. So you float away from your body and you're above your body and you look back at your body and you see your head. And then you say, is consciousness in the head? No, it's not. It's up here. I'm looking at it. The consciousness is is down. The head is down there, which means that the head and the brain is in the consciousness. Then that consciousness can float over and look out the window and look at the stars and the planets. That stars and planets are inside the consciousness. And that's where Deepak Chopra says, everything is an activity inside consciousness. And that's going to turn out to be right. It's all going to be, it's all, and we, we misinterpret it because we see the physical world, and it looks so real. It's almost like the illusion keeps dragging us back in, and we start to believe in separation. We start to believe in physical objects. Even though we know that everything is 99.99999% uh, 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 space, we it still think it's solid. Space. Yeah. It's this illusion that we believe the world was flat. And then we say, well, that's an illusion. The sun goes around the earth, that's an illusion. And we've got a lot of stuff that's still illusion. That's where Nolan says it's a 5% outside the bell curve that's going to tell you. If the world was the way people describe, there would be no UFOs. There would be no anomalies. There's anomalies, which means there's something wrong. And if you figure it out, you get the Nobel Prize.
0: UFO Sky Pilots, Grant Cameron. A trip of major proportions in a not huge book, but lots and lots of fun and lots and lots of wisdom and insight there. We are on a journey, all of us, and on a mission to find our true place in consciousness and to go beyond where we are now into a world that will seem looking back to us as if we were sitting on a rock at the at the present time, but when we look forward toward that world, it looks like magic now. It's not magic, it's reality. What isn't real is what is here right now and what we are doing, and we're gonna discover that. Now I'm we've come to the end of our time together with Grant this time, but there will be other times as fortunately he did not have melanoma. which I am very glad of and uh, we we, we will be talking more, I want to talk about weird I haven't read the book so uh, give me a little time and we'll get on in the next few months and go into that as well it was lots of fun today Grant thank you very much for being on Dreamland with us thank you, have a good day you too you've been listening to Dreamland, be sure to tune in again next week Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.